Voice Talks presented by Google Assistant is premiering Tuesday, April 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You'll hear from industry experts, voice-first influencers, and platform creators each month for a deep dive into our rapidly evolving voice industry. This monthly event will include things like the latest in marketing innovations and trends, time for you to ask the expert, plus the chance to win exclusive prizes courtesy of Google. Hosted by Sophia Altuna, one of Google Assistant's top industry experts and a leader on the global product partnerships team, we encourage you to register for this free event and join us at voicesummit.ai slash talks. That's voicesummit.ai slash talks. We can't wait to see you there. Allison Greenberg is the CEO at Aflow and started her journey as many have in this space in the creative field. She talks about why she believes most voice conversations are linear and why her company has created a circular conversational design that differentiates itself in the industry, why gender bias is something the voice community needs to be conscious of, and how the voice community can represent women in a more fair and equal way. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. Today, my guest is Allison Greenberg. She is the CEO of Aflow. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Carrie. I'm really excited to be here. I was reading online that you have a pretty impressive background. You went to Yale and you studied anthropology. You played in the symphony orchestra there, and then you did some work in the arts for a while, and now you work in voice technology. And there's been a lot of people that have come from the creative space. So I'd love for you to talk about briefly your journey into how and why you got into voice technology a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of my favorite things about this industry is how cross-disciplinary it is. There's really not one background of people who enter voice. And so I don't think I'm any different in that respect, but I will say that really from the time I could talk, language wasn't just the way I expressed myself, it's my currency. And so, you know, music is something that I was always drawn to. I played music in high school and college. I still play to this day. I studied anthropology because of how central language was to it as a social science. You know, I didn't study English or history. I studied a social science because I loved looking at language as a tool and as a currency, especially in cultural contexts. And, you know, in the voice industry, but actually with my company Aflow, we started with chatbots. Language is very much the currency of conversational user interfaces or CUIs, as we call them. And so, you know, voice and chat go hand in hand. They are interfaces that require specificity, precision, and entertaining use of language. But the design principles across voice and chat can be really different. And so entering voice technology, you know, it's kind of a misnomer. I didn't enter voice technology. I entered chat. And that was because when we started Aflow, my co-founder, Seth Miller, was actually the driving force behind beginning that company. And he was noticing automation taking hold. He was noticing the role of AI in businesses and in communications. And so he started to build the bot of an NBA all-star named Russell Westbrook at the time of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that was our first bot. And then we started to build from there, realizing that we could scale communications. We could even scale personas and brand identities into these conversational experiences. And so while we believed that automation and AI were powering the future of communication, we also believe that AI is really immature. I don't know if you hear this often, but, you know, do people ever talk to you about kind of how AI is lacking? 
Yes, that's definitely something that comes up. And I know, especially when voice kind of came out a couple of years ago and consumers used it, there was kind of frustration. And so I feel like there's now this like element of education and awareness of like, no, it's growing and, and we're working on it and getting people to understand that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, in technology, you hear a lot about the hype cycle, right? So we might be in that trough of disillusionment, which is a piece of language I just love. It's kind of hilarious. The trough of disillusionment makes sense. Alexa is a teenager, you know, it came out in 2004. Chatbots, really the dawn of chatbots was in the mid 2010s. We are looking at technologies that are not just immature in the sense of time, they're immature in the sense of the amount of work that has to go into making them seamless. So this industry needs our help, our words, and our design for it to actually work. It's not intelligent yet, right? So if AI is a teenager, you know, teenagers can crash your car. <laughs> teenagers can make a lot of mistakes and do a lot of damage, especially on the part of brands. But teenagers can also change the world. So just look at Greta Thunberg. Look at the kinds of young people who are driving social change today. That's the approach that we take to chat and voice at a flow. And that's why we built the concept of conversational design is because we believe that we have to work together with these systems and with the power of automation. And conversation design is actually the most important part of chat and voice today. If these systems aren't designed well, the technology can be incredible, but it's not going to work well for the user. Yeah, which brings me to, you had made a comment in another interview you did, how you talked about how most voice conversations are linear. And what you do at a flow is you really work on creating a circular conversational design. Can you describe the difference so people understand it and why it's so important to what you do at a flow? For sure. Yeah. So at a flow, we develop circular conversation design as our attempt to fix these broken visual and verbal design schemes. The industry has kind of had to back dialogue into the tools that we have to build it. And so I think really voice and chat are just like any industry, we're almost only as good as our tools. And so what we do to kind of conceptualize circular conversation design, we talk about a traffic circle. Have you ever been to England or actually you live in New Jersey? Is that yes. right? <laughs> I was going to say, we definitely have traffic circles in New Jersey. So yes. Perfect. Yes. So we love talking to people who've been to New Jersey because you're intimately familiar with the roundabout or the traffic circle. You know, you have to get on at a certain point and then you make a turnoff. People who aren't from the UK or from New Jersey find these very confusing and scary, I've learned. But the cool thing about a roundabout or a traffic circle is you can get on and off at any time. And so if you miss your exit, you just keep going in the circle. You have another opportunity to make that exit. Once you exit, you can drive through the back roads, but you always have an opportunity to get back on. And that's how human conversations work. The tools of the trade up until now have kind of destroyed the potential conversation design, in my opinion, because we've mainly used the decision tree, right? So that's linear design. That's thinking of conversations as linear. But that's not how we speak. You know, I could talk to you right now about projects we're doing at a flow. We could pivot to women and boys. I could ask you what it's like to live in New Jersey. That's how communication works. There's so many circles within circles. There's so many overlaps and, and cross sections. And so we had a great experience actually at Voice Summit last summer. 
we were really lucky to be a part of Amazon's conversation design workshop and we won, got to take home some great Echo Show 5s. And um, they disqualified anyone who designed using a decision tree. And so that kind of shows you the way that the industry is moving. I know a lot of designers still use decision trees and, and it's because it's a helpful way to understand the computer logic. But we build conversational maps differently. And we think of them as a set of nodes that are all linked to one another wherever and whenever possible in a circular fashion. And just like that traffic circle, you have to be able to get on and get off at any point in time. We should be able to return to the part of the flow to the extent that the platform we build with allows us to do so. We should be able to return to a part of the flow midway through at the end. Right? And this doesn't mean just linking back to main menus. This means using natural language processing to queue up. You entered a zip code and then you've been asked to enter your phone number and, oh, I forgot, I moved. Can you re-enter that zip code? If you can't, you're not designing circularly. And so ultimately what this is going to do, it's creating a more natural conversational experience for the human on the other end. And it's significantly reducing the need for a handoff to a live person, which frankly, is why we're using conversational AI in the first place. So that's always one of our goals. Let's keep that containment rate up. Let's reduce the need for live people, although we recognize that we're just not there yet in terms of chat interfaces. We're not there yet to be able to function completely without live human intervention. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a really important point, and I agree with what you're saying. And I think the image that you gave makes a lot of sense with the traffic circle. How does someone kind of create a circular conversational design without going crazy about it? Because really in any conversation, there could be like an infinite amount of options. So is that something where you're training the AI to learn and discover that? Or do you have any thoughts or tips on something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, NLP training is one of the most critical parts of any bot. And we often speak to clients and prospects who are excited about something they've built, but it's not working that well for them. We call those bot reno jobs. So when we go in to renovate, the first question we ask is, are you training? Where are your conversation logs? Is there a human training the AI? How's your NLP looking? How many distinct phrases and how much small talk are you programming in? Oftentimes the answer is, it's all sitting somewhere. We haven't looked at it. And we realize it's just because people are busy, right? It's really challenging to put together a team, especially like a low code or no code team, where you can have a business analyst taking a look at conversation logs, running some lexical analysis, doing some sentiment analysis. It is a manual process. And that's something that's not talked about enough in conversation design. There is a lot of manual processing that has to go on today because the technology is just not as great as we originally thought it might be. But also that manual processing makes the technology better, right? Right. We need to collaborate with AIs. We need to collaborate with our natural language processors in order to make them better. So, you know, that's training. That's just training in a nutshell. And I would say in terms of the design, circular design really comes down to actual force limitation. And when I say circular design, some people think, oh, that's amazing. I get to just return to any point in the conversation. But again, take it back to natural human interaction. If I asked you, Carrie, why did you move to New Jersey? That's a legitimate question. That has nothing to do with this interview. That has nothing to do with the context of our relationship. It's something I might ask you offline, but I'm not going to ask you it right now. We can't allow the user to ask the bot an irrelevant question. 
And similarly, you know, with Tay from Microsoft in 2016, we saw that chatbots enable people to spew the things from the dark underbelly of the internet, right? Hate and racism and sexism and all kinds of ugly things. We can't have our conversational AIs processing that kind of language. So that's why machine learning has two varieties, right? That's why you can do training or you can just let it run wild. And we don't really allow chatbots today for brands, at least, to go unchecked. So force limitation is really critical and making sure that you're allowing the user to pivot and to return to parts of the conversation that make sense for your business objectives. But it's not opening the world of possibility so much that your small talk includes the weather and politics and celebrities. Yeah, this is really interesting. And I will say, I mean, from all the interviews I've done, I think conversational designers and linguists and everybody kind of doing this space is really crucial. And sometimes it's overlooked. But like you're saying, the expectation is that the AI is going to interact in a similar way that we do with a human being. And if it doesn't, we get frustrated. So it's an integral piece to a voice as a whole. I mean, I love that you and your company are focusing so much on that. I want to pivot just a little bit as we get off our traffic circle for a moment. When it comes to making sure women are represented fairly in voice and in the business technology world, you are definitely someone, Allison, who pushes this initiative. And you've spoken about things like the gender bias that occurs in issuing orders to women with a voice assistant. You know, that's something the voice world needs to be conscious of. Can you talk a little bit more about what by that instance or others and what you suggest is maybe the best way to create a more inclusive voice technology world? Carrie, thanks for bringing this up. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. This is a topic that I think everyone in our industry should talk about, whether they're a woman, a man, non-binary, what have you. So, you know, we were just talking about the different kinds of machine learning, the fact that basically all of our bots and voice assistants are doing supervised learning, right? They need to be trained. This is an industry that needs to be trained because just like the rest of the world, the conversational AI world and specifically AIs run the risk of taking the bias that we see in, in our physical world today and indexing it into the digital world and learning it, learn like computer learning it. We can't allow this process to go unsupervised any longer. And so that's why I had the great fortune to talk to David Brancaccio of Marketplace. You know, my first NPR interview was last year. It's like basically a dream since I was a, a little NPR listening nerd. And um, when I talked to David, I brought up the May 2019 study issued by the UN. It declared that the prevalence of female voice assistants, so we're talking Siri, Cortana, Alexa, the female voice assistants, even on Google's platform, they represent a human rights crisis. And bear with me because a lot of folks think this is overblown. It's not. We're raising a generation of kids on issuing orders to several female AIs who are obedient, right? They're subservient. They can't talk back. And uh, I know on Alexa, for example, there's a politeness mode that you can use with your kids and that's cool, but that's not being used widely. And I would say that Google is really leading the pack here in offering optionality, you know, and it's just fun too. It's not only about the equity uh, necessarily, because I love having John Legend be my voice assistant, read me my Google Maps directions, but there's two ways I see to work with this problem. But honestly, I think the problem is so big and so pervasive that we can't solve it in our industry. Gender bias and inequity are problems that we deal with in every facet of life. But I think we're lucky that we are a niche, right? 
we're a small but mighty industry. We're a really interesting group of, in many ways, misfits and people who just saw promise in voice and in conversational interfaces and pursued that and have now kind of created this amazing global community. But we really have to attack the problem at the root. So it's not just about inclusion. You hear a lot about diversity and inclusion today. Those are great. It's about equity. And equity means that everybody starts in the same foot, right? It means that all of us come from different places. We all come from different systematic disadvantages. We all need different steps up in order to start on the same level playing field. So there's two ways that I propose we go about this. And you know, these are kind of personal initiatives, but these are also things that I bring to my involvement in Women in Voice, which is an amazing organization within the industry that I'm a part of. The first is inclusive hiring. And you know, the stats say that about 22% of AI is female. That's not good enough. We can't accept that. And what's amazing is that when you go to events like Voice Summit or Project Voice, you look at people on Twitter and kind of collaborate and interact with this community that we're building. There are plenty of women and non-binary people, but it's not enough. Again, we need equity, not just inclusion. And we need women engineers. We need women training AIs. We need women building the code behind the AIs because there are a lot of women in the creative fields. And I find there's actually a ton of amazing women conversation designers, but we need them at every level of organizations. We need them in every capacity and we need them in leadership because there's too many CEOs speaking on conversational AI, speaking on voice, who are not women. And to me, equity is when we reach the point where women, and especially women of color, are reaching an equitable position in the industry. I'd like to see them at 50%. And then the second thing that I ask of the industry is that we not just make inclusive platforms, make inclusive experiences, but make equitable experiences. And that starts with the gendered assistants themselves, right? A lot of assistants today are female. The the majority of AI assistants are female. There are some male, there are some with optionality, which is something I love about Google Assistant. But what about gender neutral? And so this is something that we've pushed at a flow really since our inception. Intentional persona design is the backbone of a great conversational AI experience. And whether it's chat or voice, you know, I'm designing for a major beauty brand right now. And the bot doesn't have a persona. It's just the company in a conversational AI ecosystem. So when the bot speaks or really types, it says we, it doesn't say I, it represents the brand. And that's just proved to you that the bot doesn't have to be humanoid. Like look at California's bot bill. I think it's called SB1001. You know, this is the bot where California is kind of leading the pack and saying, we need to disclose when you're talking to an AI and not let it pretend to be a human. That's about acknowledging that it's more ethical to disclose It's more ethical to show what's actually happening here, to provide explainability in the interface. So let's take that one step further. If it's not a human, it doesn't always need to be humanoid. It doesn't have to have human attributes like gender. And this is really tricky in voice. I've heard a lot of perspectives that a gender-neutral voice is weird or creepy and makes people uncomfortable. That's okay. But we have to make people uncomfortable in order to change culture. So this is really what motivated me to kind of pivot. And actually, I'm excited to tell you, Carrie, that I'm actually building a hardware company right now. It's called Project Dioptra. And it's a a company that I'm building in the women's health space. This is not conversational AI. But while a flow exists, 
I feel the need to make impact in the space of equity and in the space of making sure that women's voices are louder and heard. So I'm rethinking the speculum, which is a device in women's health. It's used in pelvic exams and gynecology. It's used to deliver babies and for everything from your standard doctor visit to an endometrial biopsy. And you know, to me, we have to work in both the digital world and the physical world to make sure that all genders are included, to make sure that equity is achieved. And I'm really proud to be a part of this industry because I think there's a lot of people like you and like my colleagues in Women in Voice and like our allies who care enough to make this a priority. Yeah, again, all really good points. And I congratulate you on not only speaking about this issue, but doing something about it because that's equally, if not more important. And I know, I think it was your NPR interview. You had also talked about how, you know, it's also important to showcase that equity within your own community and your own business, you know, making sure that the people you're hiring and who's sitting at your table, do you really have a full representation of the world, of the community? you know, and really looking at your internal organization and how can you change that. And I thought that that was a really good point you had made as well. And I think, you know, one of the things I keep telling people in voice, I always say like, I love voice, but what I really love is people. I'm really interested in psychology and humanity. And my thought is always, you know, how does voice affect us on a psychology level? How does it affect us as humans? And I think, again, you bring to something to light that I think about a lot, which I hadn't thought about in this way before, is if you are training people to talk to a what seems like a female-based voice assistant and this assistant is obeying and doing whatever you want and you're doing that more often throughout your life, that does kind of maybe become routine and seem like, oh, that's how I can talk to people too. And there are implications of that. So I think it's really great you're bringing this to light because I don't think people think about it in that way and that it could be a bigger issue and it can be solved by taking the time to have conversations and interacting with male, female, and non-binary together to see how we can make it better. Totally. And we talked about this right before the interview began, Carrie. I think you said that you were the only woman doing interviews in the voice space. Is that right? You and I are recording this in uh, February 2020. As of right now, as far as I know, the only female host doing in voice tech. And you know, it's funny because I think sometimes people get confused or like, can I be a part of something? Or maybe I'm not included. Like they don't know how to interact. And I think it's just like, we're all just people. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's like, you know, make sure you are getting people with different experiences and different opinions and different backgrounds because that is the world. And that's really what it's about. And there was another woman that had written in an article about how, you know, when there are events like Women in Voice or Women of Color or whatever, you know, just because you don't fit into that category doesn't mean you shouldn't attend, doesn't mean you shouldn't be part of the conversation to hear and learn what's going on to see how you can help. And I think that that's a big part of it too, just being open to learning and education and asking questions. A hundred percent. Asking questions. I'm so glad you said that. I've been asked by many men in the industry, can I attend Women in Voice events? I love that question. Ask that question more often. I think men, women, non-binary people, humans need to ask questions, curious questions of one another more often, questions without an agenda. Because the question of, can I be there? It reveals something to what you're saying. It reveals that some people feel like they might not be included. But imagine how women have felt in technology for decades. They haven't been as included. So what we're doing here is we're trying to just correct a path. We're trying to make sure that it's equitable. And so by asking questions, you open the door for us to connect. You open the door for us to say, 
well, Women in Voice runs some events that are mainly for vagina owners or women or non-binary people. But we also run events that are completely inclusive where we invite everyone, including men and allies. And so again, just I implore people in this industry and anyone who's ever felt excluded by an identity group or by a, a special group, just ask. And by asking, you are including yourself in the dialogue. You're making sure that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And if the answer is, no, this space isn't for you, that doesn't mean that it's always not for you. It just means that you know we are free and independent beings and we need the capacity to organize and collect ourselves in different configurations. And you know I found women's circles to be incredibly helpful. The word empowerment is used all the time and I think it really misses the mark. It's just about connecting. It's about seeing in one another the struggles that we all experience and then extending those to the rest of the community. And I can't tell you how many men have told me that they've learned things from women's groups Men who've gone to women in voice events and said, Hey, I have trouble negotiating. I have struggles just like the women on that panel. And, you know, that's probably because the human condition is bigger than specific identity based conditions. But, you know, women and non binary people do experience systematic disadvantage. And so I just want to recognize that that is real and that women of color, especially, experience that disadvantage at even higher rates. And so, you know, we have to do something to correct it. We can't just talk about it. Yeah. And you are leading the Women in Voice New York City chapter. Women in Voice was created by Joan and we had her on the show, I guess in the summer. And she was so funny because she had said, you know, I just kind of started this group because I felt like there wasn't one and didn't anticipate it to grow as it has. And it is so beautiful to see it grow around the world. So like I said, you run the New York City chapter. Can you talk about what that experience has been like for you so far and how you'd like to see it grow in your area? This is something that you know, I saw at my very first voice event, which was the Voice Summit in Newark last summer, I met Joan and I met some of the other women in voice, Blondina Vo, a couple of really wonderful women were at the booth. And I said, wow, thank goodness this exists because if it didn't, I would have started it. But, you know, we're so grateful that Joan did. And I was grateful to have the opportunity to start the New York chapter because voice and technology in general, as you know, anyone can tell, in the U.S. are pretty West Coast based. There's a lot going on in San Francisco, Seattle, and even L.A. But the New York chapter, we are a mighty small chapter that's growing pretty quickly. And it has been easily my favorite part of joining this funky, highly specific industry you know, I love niches within niches. That's always been me. My background is in verbal branding and I actually named companies and products for a living for many years. I still do in consulting. And so when you look at voice and conversational AI, it's a really specific niche of tech. And then we are women within that niche who've established our own companies, who have consultancies, who work for the big brands. We have folks from Amazon and Facebook, Google. So we're just joining these cross-disciplinary organizations because we ourselves are so mixed. You know, Our backgrounds are mixed. Our interests are mixed. And so meeting the folks from Women in Voice New York, putting together the chapter with my kind of unofficial co-founder of the chapter is Nithya Thadani of Rain. She is one of the best people to eat lunch with. And she's also an incredible female CEO. You know, Rebecca Evanhoe has been also pivotal in the organization of Women in Voice New York. And I don't just say she's of AWS. Rebecca's of herself. She is a force of nature. She's a connector. We couldn't exist without her. And then Kristen Baum, Kate Berman of Zandra, Fong Wamui of Judson, 
We just had an amazing panel event featuring Audrey Arbini, who is a CEO of Audio Brain. You know, these are the women who inspire me to keep going. They're ambitious, they're brilliant, they're supportive of one another. We share best practices. Kate Berman did an amazing thing where she put together a Google Doc to crowdsource salaries. A lot of women have trouble talking about money, they have trouble with negotiation, but I've learned this is a problem that just a lot of people in voice have. You know, our industry is new and there's not those best practices of anything from conversation design to how much should I charge. And so in many ways, women are the ones doing the work of organizing, of collectivizing, of putting pen to paper and saying, okay, this is how much we're all charging. What's the average? What should we be charging? What are men charging? And where is their inequity? You know, this is just like, I think, many of the social movements in this country. Women have been at the helm. And so I just want to call out the fact that Women in Voice New York is a really exciting group. We do programming from panels to mixers and networking. We're looking at putting together skill shares. But you know, we're also a collection of women in the industry at large. And I think Women in Voice is truly global. Joan and the team have built it into this global thing. It includes pioneers like Lynn Bain, Noelle Silver, Susan Westwater, OGs like Audrey Rue and Liz Snower, and then all these savvy newcomers from my class, like one of my favorites, Hillary Black, who built Mav and formerly of Black Ops. But I also want to shout out that we have allies like Donnie White of Satisfy Labs, who came to our last Women in Voice panel with a whole bunch of his Satisfy Labs crew. We've got Chad Oda, who gives visibility to a lot of women. Uh, we have women like you, Carrie, and Pete Erickson himself, whom I've pushed. I just want to say I've really pushed Pete on being as inclusive as possible, but also on making sure he's being equitable. He's giving women an outsized chance, and hopefully that he's giving women of color even more of a chance to speak and to have their voices heard. So, I mean, Women in Voice is really an incredible bunch. And I want to just note that it's not just women. It's everybody who wants to be involved. And I encourage anyone who's ever seen a Women in Voice chapter in their area, if you're not a woman or a non-binary person, just ask questions. Get involved by asking questions. And I'm pretty sure you'll get invited to an event at some point. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned so many amazing people that are in this space and supporting one another. Yeah. I know last year at Voice Summit, you know, Pete is very big on making sure the community is represented. And we really tried to make that a priority at Voice. And it was great to see the variety of speakers we had from, again, all different genders, backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, everything. But at Women in Voice, you know, I, I thought it was so cool. I told Joan that when we had the event in July, the amount of women that came up to me were like, I heard there's a Women in Voice table. Where is it? <laughs> and like I said to her, I said, you know, you should feel so proud of yourself for creating that space where women feel like, okay, I belong here and other people understand. And it's within the context of events like this. And that's just really exciting to hear and to hear like people like yourself are continuing to push that initiative and grow it in New York and beyond. Just to point out, Carrie, it's about gratitude and being grateful that Joan started the organization that so many women have continued to work and to really fight to make this a part of their time. We're all really busy and this is kind of like an extracurricular but I do want to say huge shout out to Pete, huge shout out to Voice Summit and to Inside Voice and to you folks who I think are doing one of the best jobs in the industry. I will say that Voice Summit did not look like any conference in branding or tech that I'd ever been to or marketing for that matter. It truly was inclusive. And so to me, this is where the work begins. It's in showing the world that it's possible 
But this is not where the work ends. We have to keep vigilant and we have to keep making sure that we're not just being inclusive, but equitable. Yes. We thank you for that. And yes, I agree. And I'm excited to hear more about what is to come for you and everything else. One of the final questions we ask on this show to promote voice as a whole, Allison, is there a current flash briefing or voice skill or experience that you currently use and enjoy right now? Love this. Yes. So there's one I actually used just last night and it's called Debate Cruncher. Have you heard of it? Yes. I was just talking to Katie the other day about it. It is very exciting, but go ahead. I'll let you talk about what it is. For sure. So Katie B, as she's called on Twitter, I love that so many of my colleagues in this conversational AI space, you know, we interact on the internet. Our entire lives are on the internet, but uh, Katie Boongard is her name. And I think she built it with a guy named John Gillillan. Debate Cruncher makes politics accessible through our voice assistants. So it's an Alexa skill and it's a Google action. And my favorite thing about Debate Cruncher, so it's snippets of dialogue from the latest Democratic national debates. It really makes politics an accessible part of your home. And I think it's an example of the kinds of flash briefings and voice skills that just genuinely add value to our lives. And although you don't get to hear the fights, which I would say are one of the most um, important and entertaining parts of the debates. You know, you can ask Debate Cruncher, Elizabeth Warren on the environment, Bernie Sanders on healthcare. And what you're getting is a soundbite, which is not the whole story, but it is an important way to interact with democracy. And it's a way to interact with democracy in sort of a bite sized fashion, right? So I think that these are the kinds of voice skills that we're going to be using more and more as time goes on. You know, when you're not using the core set of weather and cooking and flash briefings, news briefings, we need these experiences to add value and provide information in a consolidated, efficient way that we can't get through text, that we can't get through any other visual interface. And so... The debates are just a prime example of information. It's really just data that can be conveyed through a voice user interface most efficiently. Um, And it, it was designed really well. I think Katie and John and their team just did a great job of making sure that it's both entertaining and educational. And that's how you make technology sticky. And one other voice skill that I would love to shout out is a cooking skill that we worked on with Skilled Creative. So big shout out to Brandon Kaplan and Mike, Desiree. But um, I wish I could mention who we worked on it for. I can't do that today. I will just say, keep cooking with Alexa. There's so many use cases for making sure that you're integrating your voice assistant when your hands are dirty and you're just trying to figure out what to make for dinner. Perfect. Well, where can people learn more about you and what we talked about today, Allison? So you can check us out at aflow, A-F-L-O-W dot I-D on the internets. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Allison Laura with a zero instead of an O. And I would say just get in touch with me however you can on any of my platforms. I love talking to people in the industry. I get about a million LinkedIn messages a day and I try to respond as, to as many as I possibly can. But add me, message me, email me. You know, I can't thank this community and this industry enough for making me feel like I'm actually doing something I believe in. And I would love to be able to do that for others. And then I would say just uh, Google Women in Voice and hit me up if you'd like to get involved. We have a great Slack channel and we do programming in the New York City area if you're, if you're around here. Perfect. Thank you so much, Allison, for bringing your passion and your insight to this industry and the conversation today. 
Thanks, Carrie, for doing the work as well. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.